Thanks for tuning in to the ACID Research to Practice podcast. In the disability sector, there's a lot of talk about self-determination, choice and participation. Participation in the community, in things like work or conferences. We talk about choice and control over what supports people receive. But what about having a choice over who represents people with intellectual disability in government? It's important for any person with a disability to be free to make their own choices about whether it's political or whether it's anything. We should have the right to vote or to do anything in that respect. So that's why I vote. Because if you don't vote, then in my sort of look, you miss out on a great chance to shape the nation to have a choice in directing the nation for disability support or anything in that respect. That was Luke, an advocate for people with disability. We're going to hear more from him and representatives from seven other self-advocacy groups very shortly. For now, I'll ask you to cast your minds back to an episode we released in 2016. Welcome back to our second podcast produced by the Australasian Society for Intellectual Disabilities. We're very excited to bring to you a variety of speakers from our seminar held in Melbourne. Today we're talking about putting rights into practices, political citizenship with people with intellectual disabilities. Wow, how things have changed. That episode we heard from the Victorian Electoral Commission, or VEC for short, Inclusion Melbourne, as well as Advocacy for Inclusion, and Jane Tracy, a parent, researcher and advocate for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Over two episodes, we'll update you on a collaboration between La Trobe University's Living with Disability Research Centre, or LIDS, as it's affectionately called, and two of the organisations you just heard from. Also, look out for a bonus episode. It's about an exciting initiative to facilitate access to political campaigns from Inclusion Melbourne. This episode, we'll hear about an action research project between LIDS and the VEC. To help guide you through this research, let me introduce Sophia Tipping. You might remember her name from the closing credits of previous episodes. Sophia, Tell me more about yourself when you're not co-producing the podcast. Well, Hilary, I do a lot of running around doing fieldwork with groups and services, but I spend most of my time hunched over my laptop analysing data or writing for either my PhD or my research officer role at LIDS. So, Sophia, you've been busy talking to people with intellectual disability and their supporters to find out more about their voting participation. Tell me about how this research project came about. My boss, Professor Christine Bigby, has a long-standing research partnership with Inclusion Melbourne, and they've been investigating various aspects of voting for a while now. As part of my PhD, I'd become interested in many forms of political participation, including voting. Through the process of conducting a literature review for my PhD, it seemed that there was no empirical research on voting experiences of people with intellectual disability in Australia. There's some analysis related to the legal barriers to voting in Australia, but nothing on what it's like for people and their supporters. It was after the political citizenship seminar in 2016 that we heard in the snippet earlier 
that we all came together and decided there was room for further research about strategies to support people with intellectual disability to vote. The VEC has been pursuing various initiatives around supporting people with disabilities, and we persuaded them to collaborate in a project with a specific focus on people with intellectual disability. So this is what we're currently investigating. The aims of this research is to identify the factors that facilitate and obstruct voting for people with intellectual disability and to develop, trial and evaluate an initiative to support voting. That sounds pretty exciting. How eager were the VEC to be involved? They were very eager. Just listen to what Deborah Taylor has to say about it. My name is Deborah Taylor. I'm an election inclusion officer here at the Victorian Electoral Commission. There wasn't a lot of research out there as to why a person with an intellectual disability does or doesn't vote. And looking at an Australian first research project and pilot project to fill that space. So developing focus groups and also putting together a lot of time and negotiating space that we can be able to meet and make our programs more accessible by getting feedback from people with an intellectual disability as to what helps them best be supported to vote. People with an intellectual disability have the right to be treated the same as everybody else and if we are pushing for people with a disability or any people to be true citizens of this country and to be given the same human rights as anyone else, then that needs to include the right to vote and that they can access support to do so. And I'm passionate about it because I see it as a no-brainer, that, that it is a part of our human rights. How have you and your colleagues approached the research process? So we adopted an action research approach. In academia, we tend to have the luxury of time when it comes to research, but the VEC needed to implement things in much shorter time frames. There are a few elections on the horizon, right? Indeed there are, Hilary. The VEC are gearing up for the Victorian state election on the 24th of November, and we're hoping some findings will be fed back to other electoral commissions around Australia soon. And we are also hoping that there will be a few new voters on the electoral roll. Hello, I'm David Walker and I'm from New Wave Self-Advocacy and I want to vote. The reason I'm why I want to vote is so that if I could get the right government to win the election, then the right government would help people more better. In terms of the research methodology, we decided on an action research approach that have various phases. Each phase fed into practice and in turn we received feedback from people working on the ground to inform our ongoing investigation. The current phase that is underway at the moment involves evaluating a pilot program based on recommendations from the earlier stages of the research. Phase one was really about getting the lay of the land. We did focus groups with 45 people with intellectual disability and we explored the factors that obstruct and facilitate voting participation. We also conducted an online survey of 157 staff, managers, policymakers and advocates in the disability sector and we asked them about the barriers to supporting people with intellectual disability to vote. We developed the data collection tools in close collaboration with stakeholders as well. Wow, that's pretty impressive. That's a lot of people. What did you find? Overall, the research found a lot of people with intellectual disability didn't vote. 
like Gary and Shona, for example, from the Having a Say self-advocacy group. I'd like to introduce Gary, and we're going to speak about voting. So, Gary, would you like to vote? No. Why not? Too hard. Yeah? Too hard. Would you like to vote, Shona? No. No? Why wouldn't you like to vote? Too hard. I'd like to introduce Peter. Do you want to vote? No. No? Why wouldn't you like to vote? Uh, bit too hard for me. But those who didn't vote had some form of indirect or vicarious experience of voting through perhaps watching others vote, through getting a chance to practice. Here's Rachel from New Wave Self-Advocacy. Yes, we've had um, a meeting with a lady called Deborah from actually voting in Victoria and she's actually explained what, how we can vote and she's come to our meetings um, and she said she'd love to do it again if we wanted to do it again. Um, but um, she actually showed us how to do it here up at New Wave in our little um, room that we use at our meetings. And to show, uh, we did a mock election as well, so we're able to learn how to do it that way as well. But there were still many challenges. David and Fiona from New South Wales Council of Intellectual Disabilities sat down to talk about voting the other day. Here's what they had to say. And is voting easy or difficult? It's a bit of both, um, because you've got so many options. And you you might go in with one person in one, you might go, no, 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 I want to go to that one. So you, it's a bit of, it can be a bit of a, a bit of a maze, mm-hmm. especially if you've got one, one little sheet, then you've got this huge, big sheet that you've got to go, oh dear. Yeah, and do you think those two papers make it a bit more confusing? Definitely. I mean, I, when I first started going, what, how do I do this? And I, I had to read it a couple of times to understand but they do have someone who you can go to if you get stuck or if you need another ballot sheet. Marianne from New Wave Self-Advocacy spoke about something many shared in our research. I find it's a bit frightening and I also can't read, write or spell. I don't understand it really well because I've never voted, not even when I was young. Despite low voter turnout in our sample, there was a significant group with a strong desire to vote and have a say in big decisions about the community. For example, determining who's in government. Hi, my name's Samson. I'm an advocate for people with a disability. I I work for an organisation called NDS and Valid at the moment. Do you think voting's important, Samson? I do think it's important because... That allows you to have a say um, in how you think that the country should be run. The good folk at Reinforce, Australia's longest-running self-advocacy group, told us why they think voting is important. Hi, my name is Colin Hisco. I'm the president of Reinforce Incorporated. And do you vote? Yes. Why do you vote? Uh, Because it's a way of me trying to have my opinion on certain issues or certain things that some parties may agree to. My name is Amanda. And what organisation are you from? Um, Reinforces Software Advocacy Group 
children of rural people who have an intellectual disability and I am the long-standing treasurer of Reinforce. And do you vote? Yes, since the day of turn 18 I've been on the roll. And why do you vote? Um, I'm just to, yeah, to exercise my, my legal right to vote. The self-advocates at New Wave had a few other things to say, like Heather here. Why do you vote? To have my say in what the government does and um, hopefully to um, get better services out there for people with disabilities. We also found that while majority of people with intellectual disability who participated in the study weren't active through voting, they were civically active in other ways. Many volunteered their time. They attended community groups and were involved in self-advocacy groups. My name is Heather Hookside and um, I'm a part of advocacy and I, I like it. I like helping people. And I want to keep going. What did you find about the attitudes of the workers and managers that support them in various services? Workers and managers were very much on board with the idea that all people with intellectual disability have the right to vote. But there wasn't much action in terms of implementing programs to support people to vote, nor was there much experience in providing support to people with intellectual disability when voting. And there was a lot of uncertainty, even anxiety, as to how or if support to vote could be appropriately delivered at all. We heard from Deborah from the VEC, who echoed your remarks. Engaging people with a disability, we do need to go through often services who don't realise but they can act in a sort of, I guess, a gatekeeper role of being able to um, approach a large number of people in one go. So what did you do next? After analysing the initial findings, we came up with five broad recommendations to feed back to the Victorian Electoral Commission, and these were workshopped with a stakeholder group. We had representatives from disability support services, advocacy, direct support, and people with intellectual disability. In one way or another, the VEC took on four of the five recommendations. For instance, recommendation one which was to foster some kind of a peer support program related to voting and political participation. The basis for this recommendation came from our focus groups. There was a perception of voting as a collective activity. It was something that was done with others in community spaces and benefited the greater good. The VEC already had a peer-to-peer training and outreach program called Democracy Ambassadors, but it hadn't targeted the community of people with intellectual disabilities and their supporters. Until now, that is. Here's Deborah Taylor again. What we've attempted to do is to hire people who have lived experience with an intellectual disability or caring for those with an intellectual disability as well so that we can support both people who live with a disability and their supporters as well um, to be able to gain the skills and, I guess, not just the skills but the confidence to be able to vote and be aware of the supports that are available on election day to cast their vote in a way that is going to mean that their vote's informed and going to count and is going to be just as valuable as everybody else's vote as it should be. Hi, I'm Simone Stevens. I'm 
a democracy ambassador from the Victorian Electoral Commission. Simone has just joined the team as a democracy ambassador. Here's why she wanted to take the job. Well, I researched it, as as I do anything. Before doing anything, I research the benefits. Um, And I really wanted to help people with intellectual disabilities on learning how to, to vote, and that's always been my passion. But also travelling. I wanted to travel not just Melbourne, because I, I, I'm pretty good with that, but regional areas, you know, like the the Warnables and the, the Ballarat areas, you know, just so that everyone can can know what's going on. And yes, the democracy ambassador is a paid position, but this is not why I, I got into that. It's because I see the potential in doing this. And if it is successful, I hope that a lot of people in the future do this, and but they do it for the right reasons. Different ambassadors provide different categories like this. There's ones that will help out with language and you know we and with me with disabilities, but um, it's all to do with community and education, and that's the key is education. My message is everyone is I know everyone is scared to go and vote, but honestly, don't think that you can't vote because you know you've been told that you can't vote because you will be supported in a 100% environment. And if you're not sure and if you don't have the support on the day, go and see an official or someone at the voting centre or, or there's hundreds of ways of dealing with, with voting. And, you know, if we get to you, that's great. We'll show you how to do that. Um, but don't be afraid. You can vote. And... Um, yeah, you can, your voice will be heard. Simone mentioned some of the obstacles that came up in our findings so far. People felt unprepared and found the voting experience or even the idea of voting stressful. Support from others, especially family members and disability support providers, was really important. My name is Graham Bonin. I'm a member of the South uh, New I. Do you find voting hard at all? Is it difficult to vote? Uh, sometimes, sometimes it might be hard, sometimes I'll ask someone to help. Okay, and what could someone do, what would help you to vote? I need someone to support me. I need someone to support to, to stand, uh, stand me. Samson, what do you think would help voting? It's having someone there who's, you know, that can advise them on how to do it instead but obviously not influence their choices because their choices are their their own choices, but help them to make an informed decision by allowing them to know what's going on and what's required. My dad dad helped me with that as well, so family members can help you vote. My name is Heather. I'm just a bit scared and and I don't like being in the line. I was going to ask next what makes voting hard. said being in the line. Anything else? I just need help. Well, what do you think would help you? Well, someone tell me what's going on and that. Hi, my name is Catherine. I'm representing New Wave. 
What makes voting hard? The reading part of it and making sense of what I have to do in the elections. What helps you vote or what would help you to vote? To make sure I ask for help when needed and making sure I'm asking the right people at the time. But sometimes those who were there to support them had attitudes that posed barriers to people with intellectual disability voting. Some had been told they weren't capable of voting. On top of this, despite goodwill about the universality of the right to vote and have a say, support staff and organisations didn't know if they should or could provide voting support and they weren't confident about how to provide it. Probably the key issue that we hear back from disability support workers across Victoria is that they are not aware of whether they should do it or whether they can legally do it. That's the words we often hear. And we often get this fed back to us too from people with a disability who say that their support staff have told them that they can't help them to go and vote. And that's not true. We need to make that a more understood across the sector and that's going to be it's an attitudinal shift and that takes a longer time but we can start that's probably the key thing is just breaking down that fear and that barrier to to making sure that disability support workers feel empowered and that they can then empower people with a disability to get out and vote it wasn't seen by participants as problematic or risky to get support from a trusted person of their choice Recommendations two and three focused on building the capacity of organisations that support people with intellectual disability on a daily basis. This also extended to their family members, and it was all about building their capacity to provide voting support. The supporters needed to be supported. And this is where the pilot project that the VEC is implementing comes into things. Let's hear about the pilot project straight from the source. Here's Deborah from the VEC again. Out of, I guess, the research so far, we're we're now implementing the pilot program and we're looking at upskilling not just staff within the service but senior management as well. We can then go back and say, well, actually, your senior management is very supportive of, of you doing this. So that's been a key part of our research and our implementation is to make sure that the organisation is supporting their staff from the top right through so therefore that their staff then have the confidence and knowledge to then implement what we're suggesting which is that one-on-one support or group support to get people enrolling and voting and we need to target that so that it's flexible enough for that organisation to implement across their one-on-one staff who may not be able to attend for staff meetings and then be able to give them the resources and some of those are resources that the VEC has developed over many years and has had here available but it just hasn't been utilised to its full potential and be able to make sure that the staff can choose the best one that matches the group they're working with or the individual and have that implemented over the next few months before the election. Family members are a key source of support for many people with an intellectual disability. But some people in the focus groups described hearing misinformation and discouraging words from them. So the VEC's pilot project is also targeting families. Families will be involved. We've left that open for the organisations to 
give us recommendations on how best to engage families within the pilot and because each organisation will be consulting, I guess, and, and feeding information back to families in a different way. So we'll tailor it to suit the needs of the organisation, essentially, and the families there. We often hear from families that they're afraid to enrol um, their adult son or daughter because they are worried about getting fines. And we hear that every opportunity we go public, that's the first thing that people worry about. And yet the reality is, is that if this is part of a person's life journey and that they're supported through this at every time there's an election, there, there shouldn't be any worry of a fine. The VEC before they issue a fine, they always issue a please explain why you didn't vote. And if the person has a legitimate reason for not voting, such as their support worker who was meant to take them to vote didn't turn up on election day, then that's a valid reason and we take that on board before issuing a fine. It's important for us to make sure that the community isn't just feared into voting. Fear does not produce positive outcomes for change. Our fourth recommendation was about reviewing the training given to electoral staff. This recommendation came from the experiences of people who had attempted to vote and had negative experiences at the polling place. Some had been told that they weren't allowed to bring a trusted person into the voting booth with them, and this was seen as a vital part of accessing voting participation for them as a person with an intellectual disability. Deborah from the VEC wanted to clear up a few things related to this. It's often the most poignant question we get asked and we hear quite a lot that people have been informed that they're not able to have a person assist them at the voting screen and that's not true. The Electoral Act clearly states and it's in all of our training manuals as well that a person, any person can have another person come and help them at the voting screen if they need it and that person might be there required to read out the ballot paper for them. They might be required to write that person's choices down on the ballot paper in the order of preference for that individual. They should be supported, whether that be a family member, a paid disability support worker. It can be anybody. It can be a best friend who's able to read and write. And it needs to be obviously someone that the individual who's voting needs to trust that they're going to have their, their answers recorded in the correct way of their choices. And it can also be an election official as well. So they're able, they're there to be impartial and they're able to assist as well in the same capacity. From these stories, we recommended that the VEC look at their training of staff to ensure that all electoral staff are getting the message about the rights of people with intellectual disability to support. So each election, the Victorian Electoral Commission hires approximately for state elections, 25,000 staff across the state. It's a lot of people to make sure that are trained. So we start with our election managers and our staff are trained, depending on the level of their roles, they either attend in-person training or they complete online modules. So this is all an ongoing research project. The final stage is to evaluate the pilot project and see if it made a difference to both the confidence of staff in providing voting support and to the experiences of people with intellectual disability when voting. There is still much more research to be done in this area, though. Our project wasn't without limitations. We were largely focusing on people with mild to moderate intellectual disability. More investigation needs to be done on how people with higher support needs, for instance, people with unconventional speech, 
and severe or profound intellectual disability to ensure they have their voices heard in elections. Now, wait a minute, Sophia. You said the VEC agreed to take on four of the five recommendations. There was one about peer support. There was one about building the capacity of disability support organisations. One about supporting family members. And the last one was reviewing the training of electoral staff. I only count four. What happened to recommendation five? You got me, Hillary. But you're all going to have to listen to the bonus episode to find out what recommendation five is. We'll hear from Inclusion Melbourne about what they are doing in this space and how it relates to this research. We'll also talk to some Victorian members of Parliament and hear much, much more from the self-advocates who kindly sent us their experiences. Well, there you have it. You have to stay tuned to find out more, listener. But for now, if you'd like to find out more about the research and programs, we'll link you to some great resources in the show notes. You can find out more about the research and other LIDS research on their website, latrobe.edu.au forward slash LIDS. And keep up to date with our latest ACID Research to Practice episodes wherever you source your podcasts. Review us on iTunes if you'd like to too. This episode was produced by Sophia Tipping, Associate Professor Hilary Johnson and Buffy Gorilla. Marketing support was provided by Ben Pawson. We have so many people to thank for this episode, Hilary. Firstly, thank you to LIDS for allowing me to give an update on the exciting ongoing research we're doing. And thank you to the VEC for funding it and sharing their exciting new work with us. We also want to extend a huge thank you to the 22 self-advocates and their supporters from seven self-advocacy groups who also contributed to this podcast. We had such a big response, we couldn't include everyone's audio, but we're hoping you will all hear your voices in the next couple of episodes. We want to thank the self-advocates and supporters from Valid, Reinforce, New Horizons, Having a Say, New Wave, New South Wales Council for Intellectual Disability, and to SARU, the Self-Advocacy Resource Unit, for linking us with many of these groups. Look out for more photos and clips from these groups online. If you know a group of people with intellectual disability who might want to contribute to future episodes, or if you have a great research story to share, get in contact with us. You can find us on Twitter via the handle at acid underscore LTD, and on Facebook via at acid.asn.au. Better still, become a member and enjoy access to a number of publications and benefits. Just go to our website, acid.asn.au. Thanks for listening. <laughs>